I want to ask you a question this morning, kind of a probing question. What would you say if the Lord spoke to you and said he wanted to use you to minister to someone that had destroyed your life? How would you respond? What if God wanted to use you to touch someone that had destroyed your family? Well, this morning, as we continue the series, Living in the Lion's Den, I want you to think about Daniel. And how he responds. And that is that this fourth chapter of Daniel. The king has a dream, another dream. And we had a dream in chapter 1 and 2. He has another dream now in chapter 4. And he, he doesn't expect anybody to tell him what the dream is. He tells Daniel what the dream is. And when Daniel gets the interpretation, it says that he's fearful for the king. What it means. He doesn't want to tell the king what it means because it's a hard, it's a hard word. It's a word that God is going to take his kingdom away from him. And when I read that and I recognized Daniel's response, I thought about this. Daniel could have responded like, hey, this is great. The king that destroyed my family, the king that destroyed my nation is going to get his final due. He could have responded like that. But you see, Daniel made a decision to forgive the king for all that he had done. Why? Because Daniel wanted to be used where he was. You see, God calls us to forgive, to set us free, so that he can use us. Think about that just for a moment. He wants to use us. And if you have bitterness about what someone has done how they've hurt you, how they've offended you. Maybe they've destroyed your whole family. If you have bitterness about that, God cannot use you. You see, God cannot use bitter people. The only one who can use bitter people is Satan. And God had a plan and a purpose for Daniel to influence not just King Nebuchadnezzar, but three more kings he would influence toward righteousness and toward the God of heaven and earth. But God could never use Daniel until he made a decision to forgive what King Nebuchadnezzar had done and to move on and to move past the destruction of his home. It is every indication that King Nebuchadnezzar had murdered all of Daniel's family. 
along with thousands more. And yet, here we have Daniel. Fearful. Because it's a hard word to King Nebuchadnezzar. He could have said, oh boy, great, I'm glad he's finally going to have his kingdom destroyed. But he doesn't. And I just wondered if there's somebody here today, this question just kept jumping up at me. I wonder if there would be somebody in this room this morning that God had a plan or purpose. He wanted to use you to do some unique, amazing thing, and yet God can't use you because you can't forgive. You're so filled with bitterness that God's waiting. You know, God is good at waiting. (laughs) And so one of the lessons that we want to learn from living in the lion's den is Daniel's great courage to forgive and to be used. There are several things that I see in this chapter 4 that I believe God wants to speak to our heart. And if we're open, and if we're willing to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying, I believe God wants to speak to us. The very first thing that I see here, and that is that We have to have a personal relationship with God. Now, last week you heard his brother Ben uh, preached powerfully on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and on the fiery furnace. But I want you to look at the very end of chapter 3. What King Nebuchadnezzar says in chapter 3, verse 28 and 29, he says, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race, nation, or language, speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn from limb to limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other god who can rescue like this. (laughs) Nice guy. (laughs) Real tolerant, patient. But I want you to notice what he says. He says the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He didn't say his God. And yet he had seen God's amazing power in the interpretation of a dream and for God to speak to Daniel what the dream was. And now he has seen God's ability to deliver these three men In the fire, all he has seen is miraculous wonders. But you have to recognize that this is a king who had a lot of magicians who served him. And he had seen a lot of signs and wonders, but they weren't from God. So all he recognized was that this God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he was a great God, and he was able to do a lot of signs and wonders. But I want you to know, it takes more than that. It takes more than signs and wonders. 
It takes more than you just recognize He's a great God. That's the reason we follow the Word of God and not signs and wonders. Because it is the power of the Word of God to change our life when we believe in the name of Jesus that changes our life, not signs and wonders. They are just signs pointing to Jesus. But it's Jesus who saves us. And the very first thing I see here is that King Nebuchadnezzar was not changed by seeing signs and wonders. He did not have a personal relationship with this God. He kept saying, it's the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But he didn't say, my God. He had not accepted the God of heaven as his God. He just kept referring to him as the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I thought to myself, what a powerful word God is trying to say to us today. That God needs to be your personal God. Not just he's done great things. Maybe you have answered prayer. And sometimes we think answered prayer, a miracle, is going to turn someone around. That might wake them up. But it is only trusting in the shed blood of Jesus Christ that changes our life. That is the only thing that changes us. Why? Because it's only the blood of Jesus that gives us forgiveness of sin, allows the Holy Spirit to come and live and reside inside of us and make us a brand new person. Signs and wonders and miracles will not do that. And add to that all the warnings we have throughout the New Testament, be careful. Because in the last days, there would be a lot of lying signs and wonders. Satan has been mimicking and counterfeiting signs and wonders for thousands of years. If you remember all the way back with Moses, when Moses threw a stick down, turned into a snake, remember the magicians of Pharaoh did the same thing. So the devil has been counterfeiting miracles for a long time. That's why we don't order our life based on miracles. We order our life based on the Word of God and the truth about Jesus because that's what sets us free. And I want to encourage you today, don't be satisfied with knowing about God or knowing that He's a great God. Don't be satisfied with just saying, well, I know God is an amazing God. No, He needs to be your God. There needs to be a personal relationship with Him. And so I would just ask you to question your own heart. Do you have a personal relationship with Him? You know, it's not good enough for your mom and daddy to believe in Jesus. I've, had, I've asked people, do you know the Lord? They say, well, my mom and daddy's a good Christian. <laughs> it's like they think they get Christianity through osmosis. They just rub up against them and they're going to get it somehow. No, that's not the way it works. You make a personal decision To receive Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. He becomes your God, your Savior, 
His blood now has forgiven you of your sin. And now he comes to live inside of you. And you can say he is my God. Now it may use, God may use a miracle to wake you up. And to point you in the right direction. But it's only the shed blood of Jesus that saves us. So I encourage you. I believe this is one of the things that God wanted us to see. The second thing. And that is, we have to be willing to speak the truth. I want you to look at verse 19 of chapter 4. I kind of gave a little reference to this, but this is the specific verse I was referring to. Upon hearing this, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar had just described the dream. Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream or what it means. Belteshazzar replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my Lord, and not to you. Amazing compassion. He is afraid. Now, you have to realize the king has been a pretty harsh king. This king has the tendency that when you do things he doesn't like, he cuts your head off. Or he tears you limb from limb. Or they throw you in the fiery furnace. Or they throw you in the lion's den. I mean, he he deals with people pretty harshly. And yet... He still tells him the truth. And the truth is, I mean, he describes a dream of a great tree. He saw in his dream, he said, I saw a great tree and uh, had great limbs and fruit and and people were under the, the shelter of the tree and it was an amazing tree. And then all of a sudden a messenger came from heaven and he cut down the tree and all that was left was the roots, the trunk and the roots And Daniel immediately understood what the dream meant. That God was going to come and take the kingdom away from Belteshazzar, excuse me, away from King Nebuchadnezzar. But he still told him the truth. You know, I, I entitled this message this morning, Truth in a Culture of Lies. Because of the culture we're living in. We live in a culture where the lies are celebrated if you can get away with it. That's the way it is. Everybody thinks it's okay to lie, especially if you can get away with it. Then you're actually encouraged or patted on the back and said, oh man, you did a great job. You were able to lie through that great. Our politicians lie regularly. How in the world did we come to a place in our culture where lies are celebrated? Well, first of all, John 8, 44 says this. Jesus is talking about Satan. 
He says, for you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. What did Jesus tell us in John eight thirty two? He says, you shall know the truth and the truth will do what? It will set you free. So you have two opposing forces. Jesus on one hand said, you need to know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then you have Satan on the other hand who celebrates the lie, who encourages the lie, who wants our culture to be based on a lie. And so, over the last 40 years, I guess longer, but the biggest dramatic shift has taken place in the last 30 or 40 years to where the best way to say it is the truth has become the lie and the lie has become the truth. And you can actually see this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. It says, for a time is coming when people will no longer... Listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own desires. They'll look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth. And they'll chase after myths or fables. They will desire false things. They'll reject the truth. They'll hate the truth. And then another powerful verse is in Romans chapter 1. Verse 24 and 25, it says this. It says, And so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. Now, why are they doing that? Verse 25 tells us. They traded the truth about God for a lie. You wonder what's going on today? Why there's so many crazy things going on about gender? They traded the truth for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created rather instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. That's what's happened. Jesus said you need to know the truth. The truth will set you free. He also warned you Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. His character is lies. He doesn't even have the truth in him. He celebrates the lie. He encourages the lie. And he has been working over time to produce in our country a culture where the lie has become the truth and the truth has become the lie. No wonder people are so confused about what is true. And you know, you telling the truth can get you into trouble. If you just simply say something is wrong based on the Word of God, that's the truth. It has always been the truth. It will always be the truth. But because you speak the truth, you're going to be attacked. You're going to be criticized. Ridiculed. Oh, I can't believe you you think that way. I can't believe you have all those old-fashioned ideas. You're so narrow-minded. You're so judgmental. 
Since when did believing the Bible become judgmental? We're just reading the Bible and saying this is what God says. And then we've gotten worried about what everybody says when we say the truth. So I want to encourage you. Have the courage that Daniel did to speak the truth. In your life, in your family, if ever there was a time when our families need to be willing and able to hear the truth, we need to be able to speak the truth. And I just challenge you with this one question. If you're kind of wondering, you know, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can tell my family the truth based on the Word of God. I don't know if I can do that. Just think about this one question. If you don't say the truth, who will? Quite likely, you are the only person in your family that has the possibility of speaking the truth. So if you don't tell the truth, who is? Where are they going to hear the truth? Are they going to hear the truth in public schools? Probably not. I mean, just think about it. Where are they going to hear the truth? They're not going to hear the truth unless godly people, church people, people who are born again, people who love the Word of God, the only people who are going to speak the truth are the people who have read the Word of God because how else can we know the truth unless we've read the Word of God? But then we have to have the courage of Daniel to speak the truth even to the king, even when it's uncomfortable. I just want to talk to parents just for a moment. Parents, how many of you have teenagers? Let me see your hands. Bless you. Okay, how many grandparents in here have uh, grandchildren who are teenagers? Let me see your hand. Oh, have mercy on your soul. Okay, I just want to say a word to you. God is going to call upon you to speak the truth to your children, especially your teenage children and grandchildren. Now, are they going to like it? Are they? Probably not. They may even call you names. <laughs> they may say you're an old-fashioned whatever. But again, I ask you the question. If you're not going to tell them the truth, who is? This is your calling. It's not our job to be their friend. We're not their good buddies. We're called parents and grandparents. And parents and grandparents speak the truth and help them. So I just want to encourage you. Have the courage of Daniel. Speak the truth, even to the king. No matter how big, how small, speak the truth. Now, I would encourage you, the Bible tells us to speak the truth in love. That means you're not rude. You're not antagonistic. You're not doing it to be, uh, you know, 
somebody who's trying to cause problems, but you speak the truth and you speak the truth in love. But you speak the truth. Third thing that I want us to see from this chapter 4, and that is you have to address your greatest battle, and that's pride. Why in the world did God give this dream to King Nebuchadnezzar? And why did God call upon Daniel to interpret this dream? Because the final interpretation... We're going to read it here in just a minute. We're going to find that not only is God going to remove him from being king. It says he's going to cause him to be driven from human society. And he's going to live like a wild animal out in the fields for seven months time. And his hair is going to grow long. His fingernails are going to be long like an eagle. And he's going to live like a wild animal, insane, out of his mind for seven months. Can you imagine going from the greatest king of the greatest nation of the face of the earth to living like an animal, eating grass out in the field for seven months? That's quite... A change. What's God doing? He is humbling King Nebuchadnezzar. Because King Nebuchadnezzar, although he's seen miracles, he's seen the fiery furnace, he's seen Daniel interpret dreams, it still hasn't gotten personal with him. And he is still convinced that all of his great victories have been him. And all this beautiful city of Babylon, it's all been his power and his ability. And it hasn't been. Because every good thing that you have done, God has been working through you. Don't kid yourself. If you've done good, it's because God has been with you. If you've got a good job today, I can guarantee you, God has been at work. If you are blessed today, God is at work in your life. Don't ever think that it's because of your great intellect, wisdom, beauty, or anything else. That's a dangerous way of thinking. The safer way is, I don't know anything and I can't do anything. I'm totally dependent upon you, O God. But King Nebuchadnezzar didn't have that idea. He battled pride. Let me just talk just a minute about pride. Pride goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Because in the Garden, Satan tempted Adam and Eve. You don't need God to know good and evil. You can take of that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. You don't need God. You can be independent of God. You don't need him to tell you right and wrong. You can determine what's right and what's wrong all by yourself. And isn't that exactly what's going on right today all over our world? 
Everybody is being encouraged. You can decide what's right and wrong on your own. If you think this is right, it's right. If you think it's wrong, it's wrong. Everybody is being told, just do whatever you think is right. And as soon as you say, no, no, I don't believe so. I think this is wrong. Oh, you can't judge. You can't judge. The greatest battle we'll face, every person, is pride. And the dangerous thing I see about pride is that the very nature of pride has some sort of the ability to camouflage itself so that when it's right there, you don't see it. You're filled with pride. You think you're wonderful. (laughs) But you can't see it. And when someone comes to you and says, Brother, don't you think you're a little being puffed up? You don't believe it. And you immediately begin to attack them for pointing it out rather than looking at your own heart. Why? Because pride pride never wants to look at its own condition. So the greatest battle we face. Some people say the greatest battle is the devil. I say no. I say the greatest battle we face is pride. Every one of us, me included, you included, pride. And you know the worst kind of pride? Religious pride. No doubt. Because religious pride is proud that they're proud. They're actually proud of their pride because it's religious. Who was it that killed Jesus? The religious Jews were filled with pride. It's a dangerous condition. And I believe the fact that God dealt with pride with King Nebuchadnezzar was God's way of saying to us, you've got to deal with this thing. Let's look at verse 27 through 32. I want you to see this. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. This is what Daniel's talking to him right after the interpretation of the dream. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. But all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, you think God wasn't merciful to him? It didn't happen next week. Twelve months God waited to see if King Nebuchadnezzar would repent. Twelve months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. And as he looked out across the city, he said, Oh, look at the great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. While these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, you done messed up, son. You're in a pile of trouble. No, he didn't say that. O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. Right there. It was over right there. You will be driven from human society... You will live in the fields like the, with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like a cow. 
Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone He chooses. I just want to tell you, God has been doing some humbling for a long time. As soon as you exalt yourself, you just need to understand God is real good at humbling people. From the highest to the lowest, when you get filled with pride, God is able to humble you. And that leads you to the obvious call. And that is God is calling every person to repent. Did you catch what Daniel said to King Nebuchadnezzar? You saw what he said. He said, oh, king, stop sinning. Turn. While there's an opportunity, turn. Perhaps God will see your turn and you won't have judgment. Maybe God will change if you will humble yourself before God. And that's the good news, folks. When we are willing to repent, it touches God's heart. And I just want to say this. God would rather you turn from His goodness than His judgment. You see, in the book of Romans 2, 4, it says this. Don't you see how wonderfully kind tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that it is His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? You see, God has ways of turning us around. How many of you have a loved one that needs to be turned around? Let me see your hand. Hands all over. And I'm not going to ask you how many of you here you need to be turned around. But think about this. God has two basic ways of turning you. This is his preferred way. His kindness, his goodness, his mercy, his amazing grace that he wants to extend to you. That you would see the goodness of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would see the amazing love that God has for you by sending His Son to die on a cross for you, and that you would visualize and understand how much God loves you and cares for you, and that that would turn your heart and you would change and say, Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Thank you for what you did for me and your Son, Jesus. That is God's much-preferred way of turning you. But there is another way. It's not his preferred way. And it's the humbling way. It's the way God dealt with King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, he may not drive you out into the wild fields and make you live like a wild animal, but I want to tell you, God's two-before is long.
And he uses a lot of things to humble us. A lot of situations that God will use to try to turn our hearts. And you know the amazing thing? That God tries to get our attention. And you know sometimes we are stubborn. Is this amazing? Anybody in here ever been stubborn and we didn't see what God was trying to do? Anybody like that? I love this passage in Jeremiah 8. It exemplifies it perfectly. It says this in Jeremiah chapter 8. Jeremiah says to the people, This is what the Lord says. When people fall down, don't they get up again? When they discover they're on the wrong road, don't they turn back? then why do these people stay on their self-destructive path? Why do the people of Jerusalem refuse to turn back? They cling tightly to their lies and will not turn around. I listen to their conversations and I don't hear a word of truth. (laughs) You realize God's listening to your conversations, huh? Is anyone sorry for doing wrong? Does anyone say what a terrible thing I've done? No. All are running down the path of sin as swiftly as a horse galloping into battle. Sometimes we harden our hearts. We get stubborn. And we say, I want to do what I want to do. I don't care what God does and things happen. God's trying to get our attention. And we headlong say, no, I'm going to keep doing my thing. I'm going to keep going as long as I can. Why do we do that? Because of pride. Because pride thinks it's invisible. Pride thinks it's invincible. Pride thinks it will always be able to conquer every situation. And even with setbacks, it thinks I'm going to keep going. And again, God would prefer to turn us with His goodness and His mercy. And I just want you to understand, God's heart is never to judge His people. That's not His heart. His heart is that He loves you and He cares about you and He has a plan and a purpose for your life. His plans for you are good and not for evil. He wants to use you according to His plan and His purpose. His plans are good, not bad. But also understand that when you harden your heart, you dig in your heels, and you say, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I don't care what God does. That's a dangerous place. And God will deal with you the way he dealt with King Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe not the same way exactly. I mean, God, I guess, knew what it would take for this great king to turn around. Because he doesn't do this to everybody. I mean, not everybody is put out to pasture and made to eat like a cow. That's not the way he humbles everybody. But I want to tell you, God uniquely fashions a plan 
just for you. Custom-made plan, just for you. And the intent is that if you won't listen to his kindness and his goodness and his mercy, he will get your attention some other way. It's never to destroy you. It's always to turn you around, to show you he loves you. He cares for you. That's his plan. A lot of people ask, did King Nebuchadnezzar turn? Great answer, chapter 4, verse 34. Look what it says. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned. I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. Boy, his tune has changed. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true. And he is able to humble the proud. And if there was anybody on earth who could say, God knows how to humble people, it was him. He just went through a tremendously humbling seven months in his life. And I just want to encourage you to call today to people all over this room is to repent. It's to repent. That's his call to you. Maybe you have hardened your heart against God and said, I'm going to do things my way. And I want to encourage you Before God has to use another method to turn you around, I want to encourage you. Allow Him to turn you around by His mercy and His goodness and His kindness. While there is still time, I want to encourage you today to repent. What does to repent mean? It means to turn. It means to change direction. Daniel said it to the king. He said, King, turn from your ways. Change the direction of your life. Turn from your wickedness. Change the direction of your heart. While there's time, turn. That's God's call to you. I'm convinced that people have that God has brought people here today he's been speaking to your heart about turning and I'm sure there are people here that God's been trying to get to you and and you've dug in your heels you've hardened your heart 
But I want to encourage you today. While there's time, turn. Change. He's calling you to turn and say, I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. In just a moment, we're going to have an altar call. I'd just like to ask if you'd be reverent enough of the Lord to not get up and leave. You can wait just a few moments. The presence of the Lord. I'm going to ask you just to stand to your feet and I want to pray. I believe God is speaking to hearts here today. And He's saying, repent, turn. Make a direction change in your life. Be willing to come to Him and say, Oh God, forgive me. God, forgive me. Turn my heart, O oh Lord. Change my heart, Lord. Would you be willing today to say yes? Ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and change you. There's no greater thing that you can do today than make the decision to turn, to change, to repent, and say, I want, I want you, Lord, to change my heart, change my life. And to do that, come to Jesus and acknowledge Him as Lord, repent of our sin, and ask God to come in and take over. Oh, God. Lord, I pray for the people here today. I know that you have brought people here today that need to turn. And you caused this story to happen, this event to happen to King Nebuchadnezzar, knowing that some four and a half thousand years later we would be talking about this story and you would use it to speak to someone's heart here today and you would use this story to encourage someone here to turn and change the direction of their life I'm going to ask the worship team as you're standing maybe you want to sing with us Jesus, be the center of my life. Let's sing it to the Lord. Jesus, be the center of my life. Jesus, be the center of my life. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been. Cause nothing else matters Nothing in this world will do Jesus, you're the center Everything revolves around you Nothing else matters Nothing else 
here been speaking to hearts as I've been preaching if you would be willing to say yes you want to turn your life around and ask him to turn your life around and change you if you would be willing to say Lord I'm tired of doing it my way and I want to do it your way I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life I've messed up my life I need you, Lord, to change my life. I'm going to ask you just to make your way down to the front. I want to pray with you right here. Would you come? Quickly, would you come? Would you say yes to Him? Would you say yes to the power of the Holy Spirit? Anybody else? Would you come? Yes. Yes, young man. Anybody else? Come on. Spirit of the Lord is speaking to hearts. Would you come? Yes. Anybody else? Would you come? Yes. Thank you, young man. Couple come. Yes. Come on. Anybody else? The Spirit of the Lord is speaking to some heart. You need to turn and change your life. Maybe some children here this morning. Would you come and say, Lord, I need you to turn my life around? You know, amazing thing. You can't do it on your own. You can't. You probably tried. You can't do it. You can try to be better. You, can try, to, you try to turn over a new leaf and you find out that it's the old leaf on the other side. You've got to have a new heart. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Hey, sweetheart, come on. Him or your son. Thank y'all for coming. I'm going to pray with y'all. If y'all don't mind, if you just kind of stretch out your hand. Eternal destinies are being changed right here. Eternal destiny are being changed right here. I'm going to ask you down here at the front, maybe anybody else out there, I'm just going to ask you to pray out loud with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I love you. I know I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I give you my heart, Lord. I accept the blood of Jesus as forgiveness of my sin. Come into my heart, Lord, and change me. Give me a new heart. Turn me around. Give me a new direction. I thank you, Lord, that I am born again by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, take over in my life. I will never be the same. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.